0: Us this morning, really grateful that you're here. I want to say good morning again. If you're a guest, especially, want to welcome you and extend an invitation to you to stick around for a few minutes after worship and uh, give us a chance to visit with you. We hope you've been encouraged through your time in worship this morning. We're going to be in Luke 19 together. I want to encourage you to find a Bible there in front of you in the pew if you don't have one with you, or look that up on your phone. However, you want to access Luke 19. Uh, we're going to read beginning in verse 28 in just a moment. A couple of quick things. As m- most of you know, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Uh, we hope you're making plans to be here. We have several things going on. There's no class time next Sunday morning. We're having a brunch starting at 9.30, um, and then there'll be an Easter egg hunt for the kids and adults that want to uh, you know, maybe sneak an egg or two into their pocket, I guess, uh, after the brunch so come be a part of that that'll be all down in the fellowship hall in the gym and I uh, would love to get you to, to stick around or come early for that and then stay for worship uh, invite a friend uh, to be here next Sunday uh, if you can for the brunch next Sunday uh, bring a fruit or a breakfast casserole of some kind uh, to share and we'll put those out and um, we'll have some donuts and stuff as well and we'll juice and coffee and all that will be provided Uh, Today is known as Palm Sunday. Uh, Many Christians around the world recognize today as Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday signifies and represents the day that we celebrate that Jesus entered into Jerusalem the week before he died on the cross. Uh, For those that follow Jesus, today really begins a week-long preparation, a week of preparation really for next Sunday and Easter. We celebrate the resurrection every single Sunday, but there is something significant about gathering and and knowing that the world, around the world, Christians are recognizing uh, the resurrected Christ. And so Wednesday night, I say that, just talk today, we're going to read the story in Luke 19 that talks about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Wednesday night, I want to invite you back here we're going to have a special kind of Easter week uh, prayer and praise time together. All the adults will be down together in the fellowship hall, um, and we're going to do some stuff together that I think will really be a blessing. So Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, I want to encourage you to come for a special time of prayer to aid in our preparation for Easter Sunday. Last year, some of you will remember, we, we took part in a Jewish uh, Seder meal kind of figuring out what, what, what would have been like to be a Jew back 2,000 years ago and to eat the Passover meal. And we, we kind of reenacted that last year down in the gym and, and had a great uh, turnout for that. We're taking a year off from that in case some of you have wondered, like, hey, are we doing that again? We're not doing it this year. Or we're going to come back maybe at some point. We didn't want you to get tired of it. So we'll do that again maybe next year. Um, but I believe that Wednesday night will be a meaningful time of prayer and reflection and we'll want you to be a part of. So leading up to Easter, we've been uh, in a series called Journey to the Empty Tomb, where we're taking a look at stories in the Gospel of Luke uh, that lead up to Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' resurrect, ultimate resurrection. And, uh, and with it being Palm Sunday today, we're going to look at, again, Luke's account of Palm Sunday, the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And, and there is so much going on in this story, I'm really excited to preach uh, this passage of scripture. There's a lot to learn, I think, about this story, and I hope that we take some things away. So before we do that, I want to I pray, and I want to ask, uh, if you would, in just a minute to stand. Uh, this Sunday is Miss Holt's last Sunday. She's moving to Coleman, back to Coleman, where she was before she moved here, and I want to uh, ask a few of you that are near Ms. Holt's to, to surround her and put your hands on her and encourage her. Uh, be sure and find her after church as well, but let's stand together, we'll pray for our time in God's Word, and we'll pray for Ms. Holtz as well, and um, and then we'll start. <clears throat> Father, we're always grateful when you uh, bring people into this church family, and, and we've been uh, grateful to see new families come, new families people come over the last several weeks, months, and years, and, and we're so grateful for Ms. Holtz and the way that she's blessed this church family, um, who, we're grateful for the way that she faithfully served and cared for her husband as he was uh, in his last days, grateful for JB and Pam and the way they've loved her as well and their family, and I just pray God today your blessing upon her as she moves back to Coleman, and I pray your your hand of protection and care will be over her and around her, and that she'll know that there are people here that love her, that that now consider her to be part of our family and uh, us of hers, and we're grateful for the way that she's blessed this body, and we look forward to the things you'll continue to do with her in the days and weeks and months to come. God, we also pray this morning uh, for our time in your word as we think about this story that Luke tells us about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and I pray that you'll prepare our hearts, that whatever anyone may know about this story this morning might be just kind of mentally set aside so we can hear it with fresh ears if we know it, and if we don't, I pray that it'll be uh, a teaching and a a study that encourages us to fix our eyes on this king that comes unlike any king has ever come before. And I pray your, your time, our, that our time in your word, God, will encourage us and give us the ability to live as your people in more faithful ways uh, in this following week. pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see. And we pray through the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ and the church said, amen. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> so Luke 19, the beginning in verse 28 is where we're going to, uh, to be reading from. And Luke begins this way. He says, After Jesus had said this, he went up on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as they had been told. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it and they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Since chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been heading with intention and purpose to Jerusalem. And now he arrives. He'll die this week, but not before some important things take place. Right after this story is the cleansing of the temple, which we won't study. But it's an important story that will happen in this last week of his life. The Last Supper. Some teaching that he'll provide about rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's, which seems appropriate knowing that tax day is tomorrow. <clears throat> and, and and he'll talk about this This life that he's been talking about, all these chapters, all this journey toward Jerusalem, he'll talk about it in more intentional ways. Specifically, a conversation that happens right before he's crucified with Pilate. But among those things that will happen on the final week of Jesus' life is this entry into Jerusalem. And most of us understand, right, that that everything that Jesus did, Jesus did for a reason. There was nothing that Jesus did accidentally just because he hadn't thought about it. Like, oh, this seems like a good idea. I don't know how you read this story, but I think sometimes we can be guilty of hearing this story and thinking that maybe everybody else was involved in creating this scene. And I want to suggest this morning that Jesus, this wasn't his first time to visit Bethany, the city, the village of Bethany. I want to suggest this morning that Jesus planned it all. I think you even hear that, right? And suggesting maybe, I don't know how you hear this conversation where he tells his disciples, go into this village and if take this colt. And if you, somebody asks you what you're doing, tell them the Lord needs it and they're going to let you do it. I remember as a kid hearing that story and thinking like Jesus was like, you know, a mind reader and was like, you know, I don't know, he was, he was kind of working some crazy powers or something like that. He certainly could do that. I think that this is all planned out. I think he had a conversation with somebody before this day, and he's just now telling the disciples, hey, go and follow up with these plans that I've already made. It's not his first time to go through these villages. And so everything he did, we believe he did for a reason. So if he did everything that he did for a reason, what in the world is Jesus doing here? What is it with this palm branches and shouts in the street of of him being the king. What is it, you know, in other versions they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Luke's version doesn't have that word, but Luke says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. People laying their coats out on the ground and, you know, intentionally creating this path, this entrance into Jerusalem for Jesus. What in the world is going on? The triumphal entry is the day when Jesus of Nazareth pre-planned a almost comical and certainly prophetic event in order to make a point, and more than just make a point, to fulfill a prophecy, Zechariah's prophecy of the coming Messiah from Zechariah 9, verse 9, that says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious and lowly and riding on a donkey, an occult, the foal of a donkey. It's comical and it's prophetic because Jesus literally acts out this prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. He acts it out on the streets of Jerusalem. It's a parade for Jesus in the streets of Jerusalem and it's designed to make a point. And this scene, I, I hope, makes you smile. I hope brings some amount of joy to your heart. I imagine the sun shining as people line the streets. And as they get closer to Jerusalem, people begin to line the streets with their coats and they begin to wave palm branches and they begin to shout, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So a couple of years ago, two New Testament scholars, two historians, a guy named John Crossan and Marcus Borg, wrote a book entitled Last Week, which details the story of the last week of Jesus' life. And in this book, they they give some background, some extra-biblical background that's not in our Christian scriptures because it's not really relevant to the story necessarily, but it's important for the context of the story. And they detail... This, this triumphal entry and what Jesus was doing with the triumphal entry and why he was doing it. And, and, I, and as I have read what they've talked about, what their, their, their perspective is on this story, and then I hear what Luke writes, it lines up and it makes sense, and I want to share that with you this morning. They point out that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem wasn't actually the largest or most spectacular parade in town on that, going on during the Passover season. In Jerusalem. There were two processions. There were two parades, if you will, into Jerusalem on what we might call Palm Sunday. One, we know well, and we commemorate on a day like this where we remember Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. Last year, we had our children up here waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We remember Jesus riding on a donkey accompanied by his followers coming from the Mount of Olives, and if you're familiar with a map of Israel at that, at that time, and really even I mean even now for the villages that still exist, the towns that still exist, but Jesus would have been coming from the east of Jerusalem, based on what Luke tells us, becoming been coming from the east of Jerusalem, but also entering Jerusalem at Passover, crossing and Borg point out there was a parade coming in from the west, and it was a parade for the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. And like Roman governors before him, Pilate spent a lot of time at his beach home in Caesarea by the sea. And he would kind of come into Jerusalem just to kind of make his presence known and certainly he had a place that he would stay there, right? But he would come in from time to time. And the Passover, during the Passover, the city of Jerusalem would swell dramatically. Jews from all over would travel to the temple to worship and to gather together. So some people estimate, you know, four, five, six hundred thousand, who knows exactly, but large numbers of people would have been going to this city to celebrate the Passover together. It's a big family reunion. It's a moment in history, in, in Israel's history, when they would have wanted to commemorate. They would have annually commemorated and remembered. And so it makes sense, right, that the Roman governor who's in charge of that Israel's occupied and controlled by Rome at that time, and Pilate had been put in charge of this area. He's in charge of kind of keeping the peace and making people obey and stay you know, keeping them in line. And so he comes into town during this festival, this feast, to remind people kind of who's in charge. And when Pilate entered into town, he entered in from his home by the sea, the Caesarea. You remember what they were celebrating at Passover. Israel was celebrating their liberation, their freedom from Egyptian slavery years and years and years before. And every year they gathered to remember how God had rescued them from Egyptian slavery, passed over their homes, kept their families alive and taken the enemy out and allowed Moses to lead them out in to the, to the wilderness where they would eventually find the promised land. They're, they're celebrating their liberation, their freedom from Egyptian slavery, and as they gather each year, here comes Pilate, right? This would have been an annual thing that Pilate and other go- Roman governors before him would have trotted into town from the west, likely, kind of strutting their stuff and reminding. It's, it's like a visual reminder, that Israel is under Roman occupation. That's essentially what they're saying. You can hear the Roman emperor handing down the order now. Right? Hey, Pilate, Passover's about to take place. Be sure you get to Jerusalem to keep all those Jews in line and be sure that no one, you know, gets any ideas about trying to revolt or, you know, create some kind of a a band of people that are going to get together to try to, take out you know, any Roman officials that are in the area, get to town and kind of keep the peace. So Pilate's there to keep the peace and not let anything get out of hand. And So in a display of force, really, Pilate rolls into town. And do you think, just as you imagine Pilate riding into town, do you think Pilate rode into town on a donkey? No. No, Pilate would have ridden into town on a horse. Pilate would have ridden into town on a war horse. In a show of military force, this other parade included a cavalry of horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, weapons, helmets, banners. Crossan and Borg in their book suggests that it would have been this amazing spectacle as they would have had metal and gold and it would have been obvious that they're coming into town creating a scene. Pilate was there to send a message. And that message was, do not get any ideas, Israel. Do not get any ideas, you Jews, about being liberated from Rome while you're all in town together. Celebrating your liberation from Egypt. You're now back in the same place that you were before. It looks a little different. You might have some freedoms, but Rome is still in control. And we want you to remember that Rome is in control. And while Pilate is rolling into town from the, from the west with his swords... And on his warhorse, imagine, if you will, Jesus entering the city from the east, from the Mount of Olives, riding on a lowly donkey in a deliberate embrace of Zechariah's prophecy about a humble king who would come to teach peace to the nations. This moment for Jesus. Is, is, I believe, a royal scene. You hear it in Luke's language. The people are looking for a savior. They're looking for someone to rescue them. They're tired of being under Roman oppression. Blessed is the king, Luke says, who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus doesn't resist that title that they att- attempt to offer him. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. A scene that Jesus had planned and acted out perfectly so that he could make a point, right? And he didn't do this to just go along with it because everybody thought it was good. Hey, Jesus, get up on this donkey and let's roll you into town and let's see what, you know. This is a deliberate and intentional act. He didn't do it just because he thought everybody else wanted to do it. Now, this entry into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover was an announcement. And it was an announcement that while Passover celebrates the liberation from Egypt's, from Israel's past in Egypt, that was obviously temporary because now they're occupied by Rome, this entrance, Jesus says, into the city signals the beginning of a liberation that will last forever and will never be undone no matter who occupies you physically. Even calling it a triumphal entry, which is one of the ways we refer to it, suggests that we understand that something else is going on, because if we would have seen this scene 2,000 years ago, none of us would think that was triumphal. It's, trium- it's a play on words, right? We understand that. It's triumphal because of the message that Jesus is sending as he enters the city. This is a moment when we get a picture of how a real kingdom functions and how a real king looks and what a king looks like. Just a couple of chapters after this triumphal entry, Luke tells us about a conversation that happens between Jesus and Pilate as well which I love, in light of thinking about these two parades coming to town. Pilate gets to town. And a word about Jesus arriving has made its way to Pilate. And Jesus being someone that's important that people should pay attention to. And during their conversation in Luke 23, we're not going to read the entire thing, but Pilate asks Jesus this question, Are you the king of the Jews? And in Luke's version of the story... Jesus' answer is just four words long. He says, you have said so. You have said so. So in other words, yeah, you said it, and I'm not going to deny it or disagree with it. Jesus is more of a king than anyone imagines then or now, but in a way that no one guesses. Jesus is more of a king than anyone imagines, but in a way that no one would have ever predicted or guessed. Amen. Rulers of this day and time, like every time I suppose, tend to trend toward power and ego. One example of this is uh, the emperor Caesar Augustus. Augustus would have been emperor of Rome probably during Jesus's like teenage years. Tiberius was the guy that's talked about in scripture. He's the one who beheaded John the Baptist and had some a hand in that but Augustus would have been the emperor probably, again, during Jesus' teenage years. And Caesar Augustus uh, wrote an essay, a book, I don't, they didn't have books back then, but there's some, some, some stuff that he wrote down that's been recorded. And, and one of the things that he wrote, you can hear the power and ego even in the title, It's called The, the Achievements of the Divine Augustus. And this is the kind, we're going to read a couple of excerpts from The Achievements of the Divine Augustus. And I just want you to picture a man full of ego and very well aware of his power and control and influence in these words. He says this, three times I triumphed at oration, 21 times I was named emperor, the senate voted yet more triumphs for me which I declined because of victories won by me. The Senate voted thanks for me to the immortal gods. Fifty-five times in my triumphs, nine kings or children of kings were led before my chariot. That's, that's like you know, old language speak for when I conquered somebody's nation, when I won a battle, I brought kings and children of kings back as my prisoners of war. I have been consul 13 times. I was the highest-ranking senator for 40 years. All citizens with one accord unceasingly prayed in every holy place for my well-being. A golden shield was given me by the Senate and the people of Rome on account of my courage, clemency, justice, and piety. And after this time, I excelled in all influence. A picture of humility, right? No, of course not. Why? Why not? Because humility was not an admired quality in a leader. A king, right? It wasn't considered desirable, What was desirable was greatness, horses, and power, and weapons, flexing your muscles so that everybody knows, listen, we're on top, and you can't mess with us, and if you try, it'll end bad for you. And Rome was really, really, really good at this. Rome was the superpower of the day, the global superpower of the day. And they were really good at making everyone aware of their presence and might and striking, you know, put, putting the fear of God in them, the fear of the immortal gods in them. And it's into this culture, it's why, which is why it's so important that we understand what Jesus is doing on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. It's into that context and into that culture that Jesus rides into town from the east on a donkey, an animal that has never struck fear in anyone, I guess unless you're behind it and, you know, at risk of getting kicked by it or something, right? And Jesus, as he rides in, he's bringing peace, but he is not bringing peace with a sword, but he's bringing peace by giving of his own life. And I honestly, one of the things I love about preaching is that, uh, In the preparation, inevitably, there are things, right, that jump out to you in these stories. And one of the things that I had really never paid much attention to, I'm sure I'd seen it, but I never really paid much attention to, is the Pharisee's reaction at the end of this entry into Jerusalem. Did you notice it? I'd never really noticed the Pharisee's reaction much until rereading and studying for this this sermon this morning. I want to reread verses 38 and 39. With Some of the Pharisees, Luke tells us, in the crowd, so they're around, they're seeing this triumphal entry that Jesus is is putting on display. Some of them are standing around in the crowd, and they say to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you, (laughs) if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I've noticed that verse. I never really noticed that, that they attempt to Coerce Jesus, talk Jesus into rebuking his disciples. Right? Given the environment in Jerusalem, just think about this scene as we've tried to paint this picture this morning. Given the environment in Jerusalem, the Passover is taking place. People are coming into town. The, the population is swelling for the Passover celebration. And Pilate comes into town on a show of force that had been you know, put on full display for everyone to see. I imagine the Pharisees, who were right in a lot of ways but just were misguided and misunderstood, had a lot of things that they didn't see clearly, didn't have eyes to see, right? We have to always remember that Jesus says, unless your, surpass, your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They, they were doing some things right in their attempts to follow God, but, man, they were, they were, they were misunderstood and misguided when it came to Rome's influence in their attempts to follow God and I think given the environment in Jerusalem and the show of force that had been put on display by Pilate I imagine that these Pharisees were a bit concerned it's like you can kind of hear them saying Jesus, y'all are making too much of a scene don't you know that there's another parade that's that's going on and that Pilate's coming to town and that if he hears about this we could all be in trouble you especially, rebuke your disciples they're doing something wrong And they don't want to get them, they're watching out for their own necks, which is mostly their problem most of the time. They're not interested in, they're interested in them not being on the hot seat. And Jesus says, our king, Jesus says, the rocks will cry out and proclaim it if they don't proclaim it. Because my journey has come to an end. I made it to Jerusalem, and it is here where I will be crowned king, but not in a way that anyone expects. My coronation, my crowning as king will be my crucifixion. This crucifixion will be God's second great exodus story. In the first exodus story, God led his people out of Egypt into the promised land, but it was only temporary. And in this second story, God will lead his people in defeat of the last great enemy death into a future and a kingdom that has been prepared for them in advance. Death will be defeated through a new kind of Passover action, if you will, on the cross. And all who believe in Jesus on the cross, their death will pass over them and they will live forever. And on that day, I imagine Jesus saying, and on this day, I imagine Jesus saying, if there is no one left to declare Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. If if there's ever a point in history where there is no one left, the rocks will cry out in the absence of a human being, because it is true, the King has come, lowly and riding on a donkey. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on that day was with great purpose. It was a counter procession, if you will, to what was happening on the other side of town. One entrance communicated power and glory and the violence of the empire that ruled over Israel at the time, and the other entrance communicated a different vision of a future that we now call the kingdom of God. And that is why Jesus weeps on the very next verse in verse 41. When he says, when Luke says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if only even you had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus knows that things are not as they should be. Things are not as they should be. The world has misunderstood how to go about making peace. Peace by way of power and by way of war and by way of flexing your muscles is only temporary. Peace has always been only temporary and will always be only temporary. But true peace, the shalom is what that word is. The shalom of God rides into town on a donkey. If only you had known the things that make for peace, that make for shalom. And the question is, as the writer and preacher Greg Boyd once asked, to what power, and this is the question I think for us this morning, to what power should we trust ourselves? To what power should we entrust our lives to? Should, to what power should we trust is really going to change us and change the world and change other people? Do we trust power over, lording it over, or do we trust power under? I love that picture of those two options side by side, which are always available to us to this very day. Do we trust power over or do we trust power under? Do we trust the power of force, the sword? Do we trust the power that will be put on display by, with a, a picture of you know, might and strength? Or do we trust the influential but always non-coercive power of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the kingdom that the journey to the empty tomb invites us into, church. A kingdom that looks like sacrificial, cross-like love. That Jesus would go to the extent that, to, to which he went to give his life. That's what it looks like. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's the kind of love that he puts on display, it looks like Jesus riding into town on a donkey and hanging on a cross for the sins of the world. In some ways, the triumphal entry I, I should be, I think, should be maybe the most joyful event in the ministry of Jesus as we think about the events of jesus 's ministry. Because just for a moment, we get a glimpse, right, even before it happens on the cross, before we know that the tomb is going to be empty, we get a glimpse. A brief foreshadowing, if you will, of what it will be like when Jesus returns as king to take up his rightful place on the throne once and for all. And we say, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, who rules unlike any king has ever ruled before. This week we will celebrate this truth that Christ has come and we will celebrate the truth that Christ has co- is coming again because he has come. Let's pray. Let's, God, we, we just acknowledge the beauty of this moment and the gratitude that we have that Jesus came in the way he did and offered this picture, this countercultural picture of kingship, of, of leadership, of strength strength that is on display through self-sacrificial love, the giving of his own life and not of our lives. Not willing to sacrifice his subjects, but only willing to die for his subjects. And to that we say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We thank you, Father, for this story. and We pray that it stirs up in us, a new way to think about Christ as our King, that we see in Him what He's doing and offering a different picture to us and to the world of what it means to lead people, to invite people into something that He is a part of that is so different than all the things that have been offered before it. We're grateful for Him as our brother, as our Savior, and this morning as well as our King. And we pray In his name, and the church said, amen. This morning, we want to provide a time to respond as we do each week. And it may be that uh, you need to receive prayer. Uh, I'll be down front. There'll be an elder in the back. I encourage you to find somebody around you and pray with them as well. As we remember today and prepare our hearts for this coming week and celebration next Sunday, that Christ has come and that Christ is coming again. Amen. Christ has come and Christ is coming again. Amen? Amen? All right, let's stand and let's sing together. Let the King of my heart be the mountain where I